tassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa bhuktang dhammang sankhang namasam very special time for us at the monastery obviously but Mopo Sumedho is with us with Ajahn Soku and then uh, Ajahn Kemasiri will be here for the Vasa he's just resting some of you have met him Uh, Venerable Indipanyo has joined us from lands afar so uh, tomorrow is the day where we determine as a Sangha to live in what we call a range residence this is an annual occurrence where the monks and novices determined to stay in one monastic residence for the three months of the what would correspond to the rainy season in uh, Asia, India, Thailand. And that's a uh, tradition which we are asked to observe by our Vinaya, by our Vinaya rules. And so Ajahn Kemasiri arrived just in time, Renu Indipanyo, so we have a very uh, auspicious Sangha. We'd like to keep Lompal for the three months, but um, we have an allowance where we're allowed to enter what we call the second Vasa, which would be after the, the day after the full moon of August. So we have a kind of, that's part of our uh, rule, our monastic rule. So unfortunately, Lompal will be leaving 4th or 3rd of August, but we're very fortunate to have him, and he's been very, very generous. He offered us teaching today and this morning, so... Um, I'm over the moon, and because he's both my teacher and a very good friend, and we've uh, suffered a lot together, and gained wisdom, uh, and uh, I, uh, he, he, Ajahn Sumedha really molded my practice, I think Ajahn Chah inspired me as a human being, I can't imagine anyone more perfected than Ajahn Chah. And Ajahn Sumedha really molded my practice because I, don't, I didn't speak very good Thai. And uh, although I could get the feeling for it, Ajahn Sumedha always offered me very clear guidance in my own predicament and my own interpretations of Four Noble Truths and uh, how to apply that. So I'm very much his disciple and in very much uh, in his debt. Um, So today is, is, is uh, uh, Asala Puja, and so it's the month of Asala in the Pali tradition. And the full moon of July is traditionally celebrates the first teaching of the Buddha, Dhammachaka Sutta, which he, which he chanted. And we have these yearly cycles. Each year we have the same uh, days of observance and celebration, Asala Puja, um, Vaisak, Katina, Maga Puja. So it's a very um, steady calendar. Every year, the same thing. We have the same precepts, precept ceremony every full moon, every new moon. Those who are resident in the monastery undertake to keep the eight precepts of formal recitation. We, as a Bhikkhu Sangha and uh, Samana Sangha in general, we uh, recollect the Patimoka, so Venerable Amrasiri chanted that today, every every fortnight, every fortnight, every fortnight, every fortnight. 
So there's nothing new. This has been going on for 2,500 years. And it's not a matter of fashion. It's not a fad. It's not a matter of political agendas. It's not a matter of um, identity politics. You know, all the different things that move uh, contemporary society. Um, we're affected by it. But we move to our own rhythm. And, and this rhythm is, is very important because it, it creates a kind of stability. Uh, it creates, I think, for all of us who are involved in this life, it creates a, a kind of social stability, social cohesion that we all understand. This is what we do. This is what monks do. This is what lay people do. This is how we live together. These are observances. So we're not always trying to invent something exciting or interesting. So you might think, well, that's pretty boring. It's same old, same old. But actually, it's rare in the world where you have, I think, such social stability. Very quite rare, and in a way which isn't forced. It's not you're not forced to come here. You're not forced to keep the eight precepts. It's not. It's not done from fear. It's done from respect. It's done from a sense of veneration, and and because we're all involved in that. Although we are monks and we keep a different rule, you keep. You know, the lay people keep the same rule in general. We have the same aspiration. We have the same kind of moral boundaries, and uh, and. Socially, we, we understand how to uh, relate to each other. <clears throat> and that social stability is obviously very, very helpful because what we're trying to contemplate is that which, beyond, which is beyond social conventions. You're trying to understand a, a possibility in the human heart which is truly free. And no social convention can free you. But without social conventions, you can just be involved in trying to get them right. So all the issues around identity politics now and so on and so forth are uh, very difficult, very, very difficult. So I identify as a bhikkhu, <laughs> and it's quite simple. And uh, I, I know my rule, I know my relationships to the laity, um, even in a culture that is 2,500 years after the Buddha. And that identity isn't an ego identity. You know, I am a bhikkhu and you're a layperson. A normal, you're a layperson over there, right? <laughs> it's not conceited. You know, it's not based upon I'm better than you. It's based upon a a surrender to a way of being, to a way of living, to a, lay, a way of relating. So I didn't invent it. Lopo Sumedho didn't invent it. Lopo Cha didn't invent it. Comes to us in the time of the Buddha. The Buddha and the monks there uh, created this form. And that's very, very important because we can all give up to it. <clears throat> we'll, we'll have some differences of opinion about nuances of the rules, but basically we can all give up to it. And if someone doesn't give up to it, we say, yeah, it's okay, go away. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> so we don't have to accommodate everyone's viewpoints about whatever you want. We say, no, this is what we do. We do this. We do monk. We do layperson. We do eight precepts, and so through this kind of voluntary surrender to this form, we don't have to keep recreating who's going to be senior or you know all the different arguments you might have. No, this is this is the way we function. So that social stability gives us the freedom to look at greed, hatred, and delusion, to look at suffering uh, as an existential problem rather than thinking by changing the monastery or changing the Vinaya or changing the diet or listening to Grateful Dead, somehow, you know, we can solve our problems. 
So the, it's interesting, monastic life kind of binds you uh, into a form, but then that, that binding, is, which is yoga, is about you're bound to something, you're bound to the form, but within that you have the freedom to watch and to observe, and the freedom to leave. It's like, it's like monks don't ordain for a lifetime, they ordain for the training. Some of us are lifers and some are not. <laughs> but So there's a freedom, always a freedom. So then <coughs> within that, we have a chance to contemplate the uh, Dhammachaka Sutta, the Four Noble Truths. If we didn't have that, um, we wouldn't really have uh, the whole Buddhasasana, because the Buddhasasana includes Dhamma Vinaya, includes uh, a social uh, construct and a, a social equations that we, that we live within, social forms that we live within, and then within that, we can contemplate the Four Noble Truths. Now, I was, personally, I was contemplating a lot the word practice. <clears throat> That's a word you hear a lot. I want to do my practice. And, and uh, to be honest, I've never liked the word. It's just a word. But I found sometimes, you know, people will say, leave me alone, I'm doing my practice. <laughs> you guys do the dishes, I'm doing my practice. Um, I want a better place to practice. Oh, there's too much work here. I want to go where there's practice. Uh, you guys study too much. I want to go practice. Um, the monks are too tall. I want to practice with short monks. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, all kinds of things can come up. So the very idea of practice, I don't know how you interpret that, but it can sound like, uh, for me, that word is a very mechanical word. So I, you know, when I was trying to learn how to play basketball, I had to learn how to dribble with my left hand. Bounce, 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 so that I could, you know, I could play basketball. Practice. Or um, music, or whatever. <clears throat> um, but there's something about that, again, it's just a word, you know, and language is what it is, but there's something about that word that, to me, has a kind of mechanical deadness. Whereas the language which I find inspiring from Ajahn Chah and Lopasameda, investigation, experimentation, reflection, inquiry. What's it about? Try this, try that, right? And that, that sense of brightening the mind with a question, as Lumpo was saying uh, in the talk after the Patimokha, to me is, is a very important part of, of my own sense of the awakened mind. Um, so I've been like contemplating, uh, I've been talking about this for the last half year, but just making an experiment for myself of, <clears throat> of <clears throat> looking at consciousness and <clears throat> bringing up the thought, is this, am I sitting here, you know I've talked about it a lot, those of you who have been here, but am I sitting here and you sitting there, or is the perception of people in awareness? Is awareness here and you are out there, or is out there in awareness? So that's an experiment I do. I ask myself, okay, what if I were to take that percent? Like, as my voice gives me a lot of problems, so I was just listening to the chanting. Um, uh, nice chanting and so on, so I could qualify, well, that's nice chanting, or it's off tone, or whatever, and just get caught in the quality of the uh, experience. Or I could also say, well, this, to take the perception that... The, this is this experience. Am I, am I hearing the sound out there, or is out there something in awareness? 
So I bring up a perception, a question, an experiment. I bring up an experiment that this experience is in awareness. And then I hold that as a question, as, as an experiment. And what happens if I do that? Now that, to me, doesn't seem like practice. That to me, to me, it's like exploration. I find it much, much more interesting. Rather than practicing to be aware, sometimes to be mindful. You know, when I started, that's what I tried to do. I tried to walk and not think. I counted my steps. I counted how many spoons of food I ate, and I hated it. I said, I don't want to live like this. Just controlling, and and forcing, and so on. So one person said, That's not the way you do it. Inquire. And the inquiry, we, the kind of basic inquiry with it, which we are encouraged to do, is around suffering, discontent, a fear, um, resentment, um, boredom, um, not wanting to be here, wanting to be somewhere else, not wanting to be these monks, wanting to be the other monks, uh, pain, uh, sickness, all these different things that are quite natural to the human condition. <clears throat> now, when we inquire, around, like, can you really practice the Four Noble Truths? Or do you use it as an invocation, as an investigation, as uh, a consideration? I mean, I don't practice awareness of suffering. I inquire. To me, that seems a much more appropriate kind of language. Because when I suffer, um, then there's something, there's something that's knocking on my brain saying, hey, hey, have a look pay attention, what's going on here? If I don't pay attention, I just practice something, watching my breath or whatever, to get rid of the suffering or to distract it, then there cannot be any understanding. It can just be some kind of habitual running away from or, or blaming or whatever. But to actually inquire into the feeling of discontent, resentment, discomfort, heat. You know, like it's really hot in this room, right? Um, thank goodness for one fan. Now in the other building, it's freezing. <laughs> so we go from <laughs> sorry, I got a cough. <laughs> we go from freezing to hot. So I go in there, it's too cold. I come here, it's too hot. Can't win. But I can, I can, I can inquire into the feeling. It's too hot. Having done everything I can, put on the fan. It's at maximum speed, right? Uh, I could leave, I could leave the room, or I could take the feeling of discontent, such as heat, and say, okay, what, you know, what, is, what does it feel like, heat? What does that feel like? And that's inquiry. Now, I'm, not, I'm not looking for an answer, heat feels like A, B, C, D. No, that's not it. It's I'm trying to become awake to the feeling of, it's not really suffering, but the feeling of discontent maybe that comes from heat. Right? Now that to me is not a practice, it's an inquiry. It's an investigation. Now, I might, I might not be awake enough to do that. I might just feel hot. Oh, it's too hot. It's too hot. Bloody Ontario. We're going to build a Dharma Hall. I can't take this anymore. That's not investigation. That's suffering. And quite often, we're not investigating suffering. We're just in it. Moan, grant, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's the, the mind which isn't awake. And then we might just force our minds on the breath. Okay. I'm watching the breath now, and then we just get lost. But, but the inquiry or the awakening to heat or cold or whatever it is, is, is an, it's a brightening of the mind, isn't it? What's it like? What's it like to be really, really hot and uncomfortable? And what does that do? What does that do? Well, that puts you in the mode of non-grasping. And it 
it's bringing you to the unconditioned because now you're no longer reacting to suffering through desire. And what is desire doing? Desire is always trying to change the objects, isn't it? The objects of experience, the objects of sound, the objects of memory, the objects of emotion. Desire is that which is caught up in those and always trying to get it right. Change this one to get another one. And that is, that works, yeah, to a certain extent. You can certainly leave this room and go to a cooler place. You can certainly do some things to leave it. You can eat food if you're hungry. You can, uh, if you cut yourself, you can put a band-aid on it. Or if you've got a cough, you can get a chest x-ray. You can do all of that. Uh, and you have to do that. And I'm not saying you don't do that, right? But what is the dimension that the Buddha is pointing to that isn't just about rearranging the objective world? What is that dimension? And, and, and that's why we come to this life. The Anagarikas will be taking the uh, uh, Papacha ordination on, on, on Saturday morning, and their ordination chant is, we're doing this for the realization of Nibbana. Not for comfort, not for food, uh, not for uh, uh, you know some super-duper Ajahn who can just whack, you know, I wish I could, whack. They're enlightened. They're not doing that. They're doing it for their own enlightenment, Nibbana. Now, that's not selfish. And one of the things people misunderstand is they think that liberation is somehow mutually exclusive from social activism. It's not. Who could be more socially, wisely engaged than a free person? Huh? Who has the most freedom to respond with wisdom than an than a enlightened being? Lompacha. I mean, he was right in the middle of all kinds of social controversy and, and complexity and hundreds of monks around him and his answers were always spot on. His responses were spot on. Because freedom is not not devoid, it's not separate from our social, the way we engage socially. We have no choice. We have to engage socially because we're, we're social beings. It's not mutually exclusive. So that idea sometimes that you have that, yeah, meditation is that compartment. I do retreats and I sit on my cushion is the rest of life. That's a fallacy. That's, that, that's, that's the fallacy of control and sense, sense deprivation. Sure, go on a treat, no sense stimulation, uh, you know, if someone cooks for you, you have to pay a bit of money, okay, uh, and there's one guy that talks all the time, fine, I don't have to talk, blah, I feel peaceful. That's not liberation, it's sense deprivation, that's all it is. It's just another experience. Huh? And then you leave that and you go into the hurly, oh, I want to go back to retreat. Well, sure you do. Because we don't like suffering. We don't like complexity and all the rest of it. But come here and try to do that for a year. You know, we, we won't let you actually have to cook. But go somewhere for a year, right? With nothing to do. You go bananas in two weeks. It'd be very, very difficult, actually, because, because of desire. So rather than see freedom as sense deprivation, as some kind of quietism away from life and all of that, you see it more as the awakening to suffering, discontent, and it's and, and the awakening itself uh, is is the way to see that suffering points to the awakened mind, not by fixing it. No, that's a worldly concern, sure, 
But the very fact that I can awaken to the feeling of feeling resentful, say. Now this year I had a lot of resentment. I just had piles of resentment coming up. Old memories and like, that bastard. <laughs> it's just old memories coming up, like from 10 years ago. Now is that right or wrong? It's nothing. It's just karma. You know, some accumulated stuff from all the work I've done all of a sudden starts coming up. Is that a problem? Is that suffering? No, it's unpleasant. It becomes suffering. When does it become suffering? When I identify with it. But what if I take a different kind of experiment and identify with this, that this is in awareness? What if I do that experiment, that this feeling of resentment is in awareness? What if I choose that identity, this is in awareness, rather than the identity of thought, the identity of emotion, the identity of self and other, self and other? What if I do that? Well, you have to try it. And that experiment, you have to run it for five years. You can't just say, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but that idiot, they did this to me and then they did that to me, then it's not the experiment. So to pick up an experiment or an exploration or something, you have to be curious. You have to be creative. You can't just follow some kind of rule book. You know, Buddhism, you do this, this, that, and the other. We tried all that, didn't we? I tried to you know, do all the stuff they told me, but it wasn't, it wasn't alive. It was just some pattern that someone else said I had to follow. But to actually like take on the contemplation around the unconditioned, there's many ways to do that. And then to do that a lot, to do that, like this experiment, which I've been running for the past six months. So I'm listening to the chanting here. And then is this, this perception that chanting is in awareness. So then I was feeling my hands. It was Anjali. Heat is in awareness. And then the sound. Now I can say, is there any essential difference to the sound which seems outside and to the hands which seems in my body. I could see no difference. It's just an object, it's just two objects. Now that, is that practice or is that inquiry, experimenting? What happens if you do that? What happens if you actually try that? Well for me, the experiment it keeps bringing me to peace, to non-grasping, to emptiness, to silence. Now, if I just do it once, oh, that's, that's cool. Okay, what's next? And to sustain an experiment in this more subtle way uh, requires a kind of... I think it, what it requires is an interest in the unconditioned. Now the world is just interested in the conditions, in the emotions, in analyzing the emotions, in job situations, in physical health, in building furniture, you know, all those kinds of things that we do as human beings. And so the attention, as Lompal was saying this morning, or it's always out, it's always out. Now these reflections, suffering feels this way, is not an outer, it's an awakening, an opening. And from that you can see that the problem with, say like with the problem of resentments that just kind of came through me this year, that wasn't the problem, it was the desire not to have it. And then you see that, that the desire is always about the object, you start to say, oh, let go of the desire, it just feels rotten. Yeah, but, but, but no, it just feels this way. And, ch and choose space, choose consciousness, choose awareness. What happens if you do that? You keep doing that. Then your home ground is awareness, no longer the emotion. 
the content of the emotion, the content of your history, the self-definition of who you were and who you shouldn't have been, and they did this to me and they did that to me, in whatever way it is. But that does, is that a practice? Maybe. I don't know. For me, it doesn't feel like a practice. It's much more interesting. Much, much more interesting. Another way to do that kind of experiment, if you're interested in the unconditioned, so that you might ask yourself, are you? Or are you just interested in emotions and physical health and good relationships and ice cream cones? <laughs> you're allowed, right? But really, all of it's, it's all ice cream cones, isn't it? Physical relations and emotions are all just ice cream cones of different flavors. Because they're objects. They're just they're objects. What isn't an object? Well, another way you could do that is to go, like I was doing that also, I, I use these two a lot as my experiment, feel the hands, listen to the chanting, what's changing, what's unchanging? That's a question, what's unchanging? Now if you try to find a thing which is unchanging, you're off in the objective world again and you're not in peace. Your mind doubts and it thinks. So is it? Is it? Was it really that? Was that unchanging? That's just thought. So how can you do that? You have to stop thinking. As I was saying the other morning, why do we reject silence? What is it? Why do we like? Some of us complain. Oh, my mind just keeps thinking. Why do you reject silence? Why not listen to silence? What is it about you? Isn't that worthwhile inquiry? Rather than say, oh, my mind just keeps thinking all the time. I don't know how to stop my... That's thinking. That's just more thought. Well, I reject silence. What is it? What is it about this consciousness which is just so habitually addicted to thinking, analyzing, self-disparagement? What is it? And that's a question. Is that a practice or is that a question? To me, it's a question. I'm not demanding that you... You be silent because that won't work either. And we tried that, haven't we? It's to suppress thought. I'm not going to think. And that, that's not it. That's not an inquiry. That's a, a kind of control. But an inquiry is, why do I reject silence? It's always there. It seems much nicer than the thinking mind. What? Why? So that kind of inquiry, right? Is that a practice? Maybe, yeah. Maybe it is. But you see, what happens to the mind when you ask that kind of question? It makes the mind bright, attentive, present, interested. And it in itself is the answer. This is the irony. We're being ironic, huh? <coughs> um, the irony is that that's it. The question is the answer. This is where it gets very kind of woo-woo zen. <laughs> Because when you, when you awaken, like, what is it? Like, this is, they do this in Korean, Korean Zen. They just, the Roshi just come up to you, what? <laughs> and all of a sudden, your mind is empty, present. Try to answer it, what? Well, 64, E equals MC squared. More salad dressing, please. The mind's caught in the objective world. So we're, you know, in, in Buddhist practice of going beyond suffering, it's, 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 very, it's very clever that way because as soon as there's suffering, the desire mind wants to create a different objective world, which is necessary, yeah, physically necessary, but it's also a delusion. Now, if, if you have a sense that there is 
the unconditioned, the uncreated, the unoriginated, the unborn, that there is a dimension which the Buddha is talking about, then you, you, you must get to the place where it cannot be an object. If, however, your whole structure of, uh, of spiritual endeavor is, a, is trying to get your emotions right, then good luck. It's a loser's game. It really is. Now that, I'm not advocating just be, we all be more and more creepy, but actually by witnessing, like say, I, I witnessed a, a lot of this resentment coming up and, and didn't try to be a nice guy and fix it and, and do all kinds of practices around it. Well, I could understand historically where it came from. I just witnessed it and the result is freedom, both in the doing and in the cleansing, both. Both offer freedom. The, the cleansing is just kamma. Trust in Dhamma, leave the rest of kamma, right? <laughs> you, have you made the t-shirt yet? Huh? <laughs> have you? You've done that one. <laughs> he said he would make one like that. But, but you know, we, we do have to face kamma. You know, we have memories and, you know, we have. We have. We've been ripped off by people and, and we've, we've done stupid things ourselves. So, that, you know, the, the mind creates all kinds of memories and they come through us. At times, we'll be, wait, I've been at it for 45 years. What's the deal? Who said? I didn't sign up and say, you know, at year, year 45, there'll be nothing. There's nothing in the contract which says that. There is, but it's like that. And is that really a problem? If I thought that as a monk, 45 years, I should feel no resentments and feel actually in touch with all beings in a divinely sensitive way, yeah, I'd, be, I'd have a problem. But if I see that this is in awareness, this experience of resentment is in awareness, then it's not mine. I'm not taking the identity of emotion as me. I'm taking the identity of awareness. Not as me, but as a way of speaking. So what happens if you did that for a year? What if you made an experiment that you chose, you chose your identity to be awareness rather than the emotional content of your mind? What would happen? Write me a letter. <laughs> Send me an email. But you have to do it for a year to figure it out, if it makes any sense. I suggest it's, it's very powerful. Or the other. Or the other. Do the other. What is unchanging right now? You can't answer that with a... With a you can say something, but you can only... Ajahn Sumedho's intuitive awareness. Where it has to go, right? Mind becomes silent. Why do we reject that? Why do we reject silence? That's another question. You have to look into yourself. So the path is there. Uh, the teachings are very, very beautiful. So with this example of resentment, what happened is the, the desire was what was important, not the resentment. That's just content. That's just kamma. But the desire not to have it, not to have that feeling, that was the problem. And as, as he just witnessed desire as an object, desire as an object rather than be the subject of desire, it ceases, it ceases, it ceases. And all the time, the reference is, awareness is your real home, rather than the, the moods or the objects or the desires around that. This takes patience, it takes trust, it takes faith. What do you have faith in? What do you trust? Do you trust your emotions? Who? <laughs> do you trust the uh, verbal forms of me and mine? The storylines, the narratives, the opinions, the views? Is that really, really trustworthy? The positions that we take as human beings? Not that they're right or wrong. 
but what what what's what's really trustworthy is is the awareness of change, awareness itself. So we, as 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 you know, as <coughs> disciples of Lumpur Cha of the Buddha uh, 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 of Lumpur Sumedho, we we we're very very fortunate, aren't we? To hear like your question was really beautiful. You know that we we live in a time where it seems so crazy, 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 and yet we have so much sanity here. Kind of sanity to to be well with each other, care for each other, feed each other, encourage each other. Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely wonderful. So why do we suffer? <laughs> so I could I could say you should be grateful. Probably say that to yourself too. You should be grateful, right? You shouldn't suffer because this is a perfect place. It's another delusion. It's another sense of self. But to know discontent as an object, oh, discontent's this way, and constantly, yeah, but that's in awareness. Discontent's moving, what's unmoving? If you make that the reference, you begin to abide in the silence of the mind, quite naturally. All right, I'll leave that for your reflection. <clears throat> Sadhu Karanda